Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. On today's Australian Open semi-finals catch-up. Rafa Nadal rallies to beat Matteo Berrettini. Angry Medvedev comes through Sissipas test. And Ash Barty sets up a ladies' final showdown with Danielle Collins. Kim, today is the 28th of January and we are here to catch up on the semi-finals of the Australian Open at Passing Shot HQ. We now know our finalists. We've had two ladies semi-finals yesterday, two men's finals today. I feel like we're going to have to deal with a lot of anger thrown our way on court by by Daniel Medvedev. But I think, you know, largely it's been, uh, you know, it's been, been an interesting couple of days. I think you know, I think a lot of fans perhaps would have liked the ladies' semis to be a bit closer in terms of scoreline. But I think just looking on the today and the, the men's action, I certainly think they they lived up to their billing, didn't they? I think mostly I think the men's semifinals did. I think uh, Medvedev Sitspass ran away from Sitspass a bit at the end. Mm. I was expecting a slightly stronger fourth set. And Berrettini... At times, not quite at the races. Um, it became, I think, at times apparent that he is yet to actually beat Rafa, Djokovic, Federer. Maybe he has a bit of a big three complex still um, in the way he turned up and performed. But generally speaking, obviously more competitive matches than our two ladies semi-finals. More angry matches as well. Yes. I mean, all the talk today has been about cats, hasn't it? Small cats <laughs> in particular. Uh, well, well, let's start with Medvedev's its pass, which was the night match. Um, Medvedev had a little, I guess, meltdown halfway through. Classic Medvedev. Um, and I did actually think that that would be, you know, I thought, oh, he's self-combusting again, like he did sort of in last year's final. But he managed to pull it together, not let it bother him. And actually, it was its pass that kind of ran out of steam uh, as the match went on. It was, uh, yeah, that was a big flashpoint i think during the match uh, medvedev getting really frustrated with sisipas and, and sisipas's coaching team antics he felt that um yeah his box were kind of communicating with sisipas he did eventually get a warning for coaching i think in the fourth set but in the heat of the moment medvedev was not a happy customer he was shouting at the umpire the umpire not really doing a lot. I know there's been a bit of criticism, I think, of of how the umpire handled it. I don't, and I, I do sort of agree. I don't think he was necessarily assertive enough uh, in the match and in that situation. I think rightly so. He should have given Medvedev a warning, uh, given you know the things that he was saying to him. But you know he called time. The match went on. Medvedev, I think, went, went and, and dropped serve at the the start of the. I think at the start of the third set, throwing in a double fault that 
was was really really wild i think it it, it, it actually landed near the baseline to the audience's shock but yeah he did manage to kind of pull it together and then that that fourth set really much that really was a formality it was actually quite interesting i think because as soon as he did get that warning for for coaching in the uh the fourth set Sissipas, i don't think he won a game since so you know read into that what you will but uh yeah from Mev- from Medvedev's point of view for the final he will want to think i think specifically about that first set because he was playing some some of the best tennis you know i've, I've seen from him over the last 12 months or so you know we know how I think how much he loves playing on a on a fast hard court and you know with his serve his resilience as well at the, the back of the court it really was a very very tough nut to crack for for Tsitsipas and although he went ahead you know in that tie break again Medvedev's mental strength wrestled back control of the situation he was kind of able to to nab it 7-5 so you know I think for for Medvedev it was a it was a good performance but there was certainly I think certainly I think things that he could improve on but I think more or less he will be happy given you know he had spent what over four and a half hours against Felix Auger Aliassime you know only a few days ago. Yeah exactly I think there were going to be question marks about how physically he was able Mm. to to deal with it after such a long match and you know saving that match point was all the drama of, of the quarterfinal but generally I was I was you know impressed with what I saw from him today. Um, I think he's certainly carving out this, I guess, area of of being, you know, the next one from the big three now. Um, You know, he's in his fourth Grand Slam final and going for his second straight slam, which I think there's a statistic, isn't there? Like a lot of people who win their maiden slam, like very rarely go and win two in a row. Uh, I think Naomi Osaka did do that a couple of years ago with a US and Australian hardcore double. But um. Yeah, I mean, we'll get on to kind of predicting the final in a moment. But um, I think certainly, you know, I thought this was going to be a closer match than obviously their match um, last year in the semi-finals, And I thought Sitspass would have a bit more than he did. Um, but yeah, as, as for Sitspass's dad, that needs to be looked into because <laughs> he there's just like a constant coaching, isn't there? It was really strange because he had his face mask on so i don't know if that was delib that was deliberate in the sense that he could kind of hide his his mouth and uh you know movement of his mouth behind his face mark that was the sort of impression i was getting watching it um on on tv but certainly yeah it was something that we've spoken about in previous past matches and although we were talking about what at the us open sisipas and, and toilet breaks feels like now the conversation has just gone on to Sissipas and co- you know and coaching and it's just sort of one one antic to the, to another and a lot, I think a lot of players are looking at it like you know, he's trying to use every trick in the book to gain an advantage and it's I think Andy Murray wasn't impressed by it and I don't think Daniel Medvedev certainly wasn't impressed by it you know there is a part of me that thinks Medvedev could have handled it better I think he accepted that at the end at the end of the match you know I think he you know apologized to the umpire appreciated that was in the the heat of the moment um which was sort of which was nice to see but at the same time I think you know these situations where he does self-combust on on court I still think it could go one 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 way or another and you know today it's it yes it did end up in a 
in a four set and ultimately comfortable victory, I think, for, for Medvedev. But at the same time, I think there are times where he potentially could self combust and maybe it, it does run away with him. I don't, I don't know, but at the moment he seems to be quite unflappable, I think, regardless of, of what is going on around him. Yeah, I agree. And, um, I think, you know, for, for Zitzpass going, going forward, I think maybe he just, yeah, needs to sort this thing out with, with mm. his dad and, and look at, you know, this, this matchup against Medvedev because, you know, they, they have, kind of some bad blood I think between them don't they this isn't the mm. first time there was a bit of aggro in, in one of their matches you just have to look at that look Medvedev I think gave him at the net um at the handshake you know it was sort of I think a look of you 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 try to win like with dirty tactics and I you know I'm not I'm not a fan of that let's just play a tennis match you you and me and he, I don't you know I think walking up to the net Medvedev didn't really think we, he got that because of because of that constant dialogue, it seemed there was between Sissipas and his coaching box. Yeah, I think maybe Sissipas's dad is doing a bit of a, a Charles Ingram on uh, he wants to be a millionaire mm. and some kind of coded. Uh, I mean, this does go on, doesn't it? People have must have various codes to communicate with their players. But I mean, interestingly, Kim, they said that at the for- the start of the fourth set, they put someone, they put ever. Astaraki, a uh, Greek umpire near the Sissipas camp uh, to just effectively what, spy, spy on them or, or make sure that there was no communication. And as soon as that happened, he got a coaching violation. And it does make me wonder whether, you know, should coaching, should that be in the remit of the umpire? Because, you know, I feel like there's a lot of things going on. You know, this is a men's semi-final They've got to you know, keep an eye on the crowd. They've got to keep an eye on the, the players on the court, all the points. And then you add on top of that, the, the coaching box as well. It feels like, you know, it feels like quite a lot to, you know, be able to to handle. And I do wonder if there is, you know, there is a, a plan where you can have that extra support just so that everything is, is, you know, kept and done, you know, correctly by the rules, by, you know, team members in the box as well as on court. Yeah, I think umpires are now having to go undercover, aren't they? Mm. Like by positioning her there. She probably thought this is an interesting <laughs> task I've been given. But obviously as a Greek umpire, she would be able to understand what Sitsipas' dad was saying. Um, I think it's quite telling, yeah, that he obviously got warned immediately. And oh, it didn't really do him much good, did it? Because he lost that set 6-1. So um, probably better off not to be relying on constant coaching. And, you know, I just think maybe he needs to change it up, get someone new in and you know, his, his dad can still maybe be there, but it's a bit like, I, I feel like, you know, Caroline Wozniacki with her dad, they were obviously a very long-term partnership. He was always there. And I, I get this whole partnership with your parents. It must be difficult to sort of speak up, but I think sometimes it's healthier to to change it up a bit um, as you want to progress, you know, through your career. I get that it's like, it's so competitive and, you know, a Grand Slam final is so in, within your reach and you really, really want to win. and perhaps you overlook or or you you gravitate towards any sort of way in order to kind of reach that goal but it feels like Sissipas has potentially in in some fans view kind of gone too far with the the tactics that he is he is employing because we've we saw you know US Open last year with those toilet break suggestions you know he was using that again for advantage still feels like you know he's using his dad and getting uh, coaching as for advantage as well and he can't just he just can't rely on that he's be, he's being found out 
you know, Grand Slam after Grand Slam. I, you know, I don't know what he's going to move on to next, but I just hope, you know, in the future, I think if he's going to want to attract, I think, you know, fans, um, you know, to his game, I think he's going to want to get rid of these controversies that he's courting, which which seems... I think for me, too kind of frequent at the moment. Um, you know, this is the second Grand Slam in a row. We're not talking about, I think, Stefano Sissipas playing great tennis, which, by the way, he, you know, he did and, and showed, I think, against Medvedev. Not necessarily all the way through, but I was still, I think, talking about him more as like, oh, did you see what Sissipas did, did next? And I don't think that if I, th- I don't think those conversations are going to, you know, increase his his brand i think to uh, you know a new legion of fans yeah i think i'm the same i mean as a fan i've i've it's turned me off from mm. wanting him to yeah. you know do as well because i i feel there's a bit of yes scandal i guess maybe not is the right word but i don't know suspicion maybe maybe i'm being harsh but i've just he's sort of gone down in my my book since these various things um but i mean regardless obviously this final on Sunday Rafa against Medvedev obviously I'm a Rafa fan I'm gonna support Rafa I mean what did you make of his performance against Berrettini they played under the roof because it was all you know raining outside so uh, very much an indoor match but um, you know people were wondering if Rafa would come out a bit slow after that you know long match against Shapovalov the other day but that was not to be he started very sharply Um, he said afterwards that the first two sets were some of the best that he played for a long time and who's, you know, at a very high level um, and, you know, able to to make the most of, I think, you know, Berrettini's backhand, uh, not being able to cope with with Rafa's forehand. I think, you know, Rafa tactically um, was very on it and Berrettini just looked really at odds with what to do to kind of get past that and uh, just didn't really have an answer, especially in those first two sets. You know, I think in both sets, he went three love down and you know, it's very hard to come back from that position against someone like Rafa. Yeah, I think he got found out a little bit actually um, against against Nadal, and um, obviously Nadal is is a very very one of the best uh, fighters and competitors on a tennis court. But you know, I think this story for for Berrettini, you know, going into it, I don't think it's it's not a good matchup for him. Just just naturally, Nadal left as a lefty is just gonna gonna be tackling that that Berrettini double-handed backhand and I think again the the amount of spin that Nadal puts on the ball I think made it uncomfortable for Berrettini in terms of the height it was coming towards him and, and kind of what to do with that versus other opponents where perhaps it was coming towards him at a at a you know, a height that he was more suited to that he could then just kind of blast winners from, but didn't feel like necessarily that was, um, you know, happening as easily um, against Rafa. And I think it does go down to that real focus on the, the Berrettini, you know, double-handed backhand. And I think, you know, a lot of people talk about his double-handed backhand as something that he needs to to work on. I think we've said this on the podcast many many times before and he, i think he's you know in the previous in pre- previously i think against lower ranked players he's able to mask it perhaps with the you know a backhand slice which is i would say you know it's not like absolutely amazing like an ash barty backhand slice but certainly i think it's serviceable and, and functionable but i think when he does get up to playing the top top ranked players players like rafa medvedev 
Sissipas, Rub- uh, sorry, uh, Zverev, Rublev. I do think he gets exposed a little bit in terms of, okay, yes, I know you're all about your serve, big serve and your big forehand, but actually I'm just going to be able to get myself in a position to to play it to your backhand. And if I can do that more often than not, then I'm going to give myself a great chance of, of winning the match. And, you know, his record against, you know, the top 10 over the last year, I think just speaks volumes. He is 1-1, lost 8 against the top 10 um, in the last year or so. So it just shows, I think, that there's an argument to say that he does very, very well, you know, in the earlier rounds against lower ranked players, just hitting them off the court. But when he comes up against the the creme de la creme, there's still a bit of work to do there. Yeah, I think it's uh, that he needs to take that next step up. Otherwise, he's just... It just feels like he's reached his ceiling and he's been operating, I think, at his ceiling for the last year year you know year 18 months or so it's done really 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 well for him you know he's uh he's he's got to at least the quarterfinals of of all the grand slams now which is very very impressive but if he wants to if he wants to go even further make a grand slam final which i certainly think he has an opportunity to to do maybe wimbledon is is his his best bet then i think he's certainly going to need to look at some of the tools in his arsenal and and the top one of that is is his backhand yeah reminds me a bit of a a david ferrer who you know all credit to him amazing Mm. player but was usually unable to to really make too many inroads against like the big three and the very you know although he was obviously like four in the world for a while and and what have you just was never going to topple them in a grand slam final for example um I think Rafa as well like tactically it was very similar to him and the early days where he was playing like Federer you know just focusing in on that backhand and mm, I think yeah. it's it's probably quite a good game plan isn't it when you've got an obvious weakness um to go after that and it just you know matches up well with with Rafa being a lefty so um I was pleased when I woke up to see this result were you nervous after that third set? Because because Berrettini did, you know, I, I thought I, I woke up. I had that weird. I don't know if any of our listeners have it. I have that weird sort of five a.m. wake up that I know the day session is going on and I need to check kind of what the scores what the scores are. And I I saw that you know Nadal was two sets up and I went you know went back to sleep. But were you worried at all after that that third set that that Berrettini was was gaining momentum and? perhaps could have come back to win in five because we've seen we've seen that before obviously I think what with Sissipas Nadal last year um were you were you were you worried at all well I wasn't watching it live uh because I was asleep so I have to say no but if I had been watching it live then then I would have been yeah uh and I mean Rafa's only lost yeah twice I think from two sets up in his career but the fact that one of those losses was obviously yeah like last year definitely makes you think oh and obviously Shapovalov came back uh, to fifth set the other day so um I was relieved when I woke up and saw the the news um I don't really know what to make of the final I think Rafa's you know actually like going into it probably much more relaxed because I think generally Medvedev is the favorite I think people would consider him to be the most likely winner. Um, obviously, Rafa's going for 21st Grand Slam title, which is what Djokovic was doing back at the US Open. And he was scuppered by Medvedev. So I feel like Medvedev is just coming up, isn't he, against all these guys mm. always going for 21 slams. Um, but, you know, Medvedev, perhaps he will feel a bit of the pressure if, if he is the one that most people are picking for the title. So I think it just depends how 
they're going to execute on the day maybe who's going to feel the weight on their shoulders I think I don't think Rafa's going to feel too much pressure you know he is just probably chuffed to be in the final after all his setbacks of injury so I think I know and that's how I'm looking at it as a fan like just enjoy the fact that he's in the in, in another Grand Slam final I certainly think there is a point around feeling relaxed or feeling tight because you know, we look back at but Djokovic at the US Open. I think he went into that final feeling very tight. And, you know, we saw that big emotional release he had, um, you know, towards the end of the match where I think he literally cried on a, on a changeover. And, um, you know, I think that that definitely, I think, impinged on on his play. It reduced his his play from what it normally is. Whereas I think here... It's a completely different story with Rafa. I think given where he's come from, given the injuries that he's been through, it felt like, you know, him turning up to the Australian Open was like, let's just more kind of like, let's just go with it and see, you know, and see how we go, take it one match at the time. And that, I think that attitude, um, that relaxed, <laughs> that relaxed nature, I think he's kind of carried through probably since he's, you know, stepped, stepped foot, um, in, in Australia because he probably did not did not know what he was going to expect he probably did not know how his body was going to hold up and he will be you know chuffed to pieces to be in another Australian Open final because he you know he said around he thought maybe this was you know that injury was going to be you know career threatening might have even put him into into retirement earlier than he would have wanted to but the fact that he's got this opportunity to win Grand Slam number 21 and, and go ahead of, of Djokovic and, and Federer, I think is going to be obviously a really big motivator. But I think he will approach it in a way that he, yes, yeah, stays stays relaxed and, and stays calm. And be interesting to see how Daniel Medvedev kind of handles it. Because again, we saw in that semi-final that he does have this potential to combust and you know i think over his over his career we've seen that happen many times and it's not really i think affected the match as much as another player might combust like for example uh you know denis shapovalov or maybe a, a nick kyrgios you know a few years ago but against rafa in the final it might have a completely different impact i don't know but i do think there is a, a tension there between yeah how relaxed you are how tight you are it's a grand slam final Daniel Bevedev could become a multi-slam champion, which is something not many people have done. So there's going to be big opportunities, I think, for for both players. I mean, Rafa does have the the edge on the head-to-head, 3-1, three, three, but Medvedev won their last encounter at the ATP finals uh, in 2020. I remember that match because I remember Rafa served for that match. And mm. I always think, oh, this was his best chance to win the ATP finals because... Yeah. It was almost on his racket, I think, in that match. And I think, weirdly, that the match they had before, Medvedev served for it and Rafa won. So there's always been quite a lot of ups and downs in their matches. And then, obviously, that... At US, US Open, Open final, final. Yeah. yeah. And Medvedev is a better player now, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that was his first, you know, that was his first Grand Slam final. And he, I think he surpassed all of our expectations. I remember us watching that live. And we were thinking, you know, what what is like what is going on here? He's come back from from two sets down, but Nadal was able to kind of stop that momentum and, and win it in five. I mean, do you think Nadal will be able to take much from that match, or do you think Medvedev is just a much better player? He's got better experiences now, given that you know he's won 
he's won his first Grand Slam. Do you think he's going to be a different Medvedev that Nadal faces compared to you know what he faced back in in Flushing Meadows in 2019? Oh, definitely. I mean, I think the only thing that for me might counterbalance or counteract what the, you know the improvement that obviously we've seen in Medvedev's game and and generally his mentality is the fact that he is the top the the higher seed going into this final. If he wins, he becomes world number one. Um, people maybe expect him to win this one a bit more. I mean, not saying anyone's writing Rafa off, but maybe it's, you know, he's coming in as a slightly different shift in, you know, what people consider him as. Like he is now a Grand Slam champion. His previous finals, he was definitely not the favourite. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think Rafa will close up like Djokovic did in the US Open final with, with that kind of weight of history on him because Rafa's always said, you know, that generally numbers and statistics don't bother him like if he you know he just it doesn't sort of it's not something he lies awake at night obsessing over whereas I think Djokovic is the complete opposite with that uh, regard so I yeah that's the only thing for me that would um that would help Rafa is if Medvedev is feeling that pressure and that therefore enables him to maybe self-combust quicker than he would. And I feel like, what is he going to self-combust over? Rafa taking ages to to serve, the time between points? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I can, I think, you know, we have to, we have to at least uh, entertain that possibility, I think, because it happened in the, you know, in his match against, in Nadal's match against Denis Shapovalov. Um, I'm not, I'm sure it's going to be, potentially on 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 Medvedev's mind whether it will get to levels um it will get to the same levels as he is he reached against Sissipas you know I don't know but I certainly think there is grounds there I think for Medvedev to get uh to get irritated and who knows you know who knows you know who knows what would happen from that situation whether he can just come out and you know, it fire him up like, you know, Novak Djokovic, which, you know, he said he has been channeling over, uh, you know, over the fortnight um, in Melbourne Park or or whether it's more of a Shapovalov effect and it, you know, it sort of falls away from him. But um, yeah, it'd be, it'd be fascinating to see. I mean, Kim, let's make some, let's make some predictions just to add a little bit more intrigue because I know obviously you're a big Rafa fan. Who do you want to win? And who do you think is going to win are my my two questions oh who do I want to win I wonder (laughs) (laughs) um obviously Rafa um Mm -hmm. I mean I just think it would be remarkable if um he were to win because he first won this title in 2009 and therefore it would be a 13 year gap between I know that is is unbelievable Um, I also, you know, he's been in so many other finals here since and has actually had winning opportunities. Like I think in two of them, he's been a breakup in the fifth set. 2014, I think he would have won against Stan, but he kind of buggered his back up, <laughs> like literally in the warm up of that final. So that I always felt that that was a stroke of real bad luck. Um, so I kind of feel like if the tennis gods <laughs> want to be nice and I don't know, I feel like there's a certain karma in the air yeah there is the you know the the cinderella story and the cinderella story would be nadal coming back from this injury from crutches and you know and winning a second australian open that i think what gives him all grand slams at least twice which only novak Djokovic has done again it is that just upping the the goat debate even more because roger because that will take us that would put roger federer as the you know the odd one out because he's only won one french open um so 
yeah but but okay so right simple question out the way you want rafa to win more difficult question do you think he's gonna win <laughs> i think medvedev will is is the most likely winner Ooh, based okay. on um just based on their recent matches on hard courts which to be fair you know they haven't played that recently it was last yeah just over a year ago um it's very close it's a very tough one um but i i'm just i i Five would sets? prefer oh uh mm, Maybe four sets. And I also think that the, the age difference is a big factor, perhaps. Because we, we heard how drained Rafa was against Shapovalov. If this match goes really long, I think that kind of 10-year age, gra- age gap would play a, a, a factor, unfortunately. What about you, Joel? <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I mean, if you were going to ask me who I want to win and who do I think is going to win... I'm going to give you the same answer. I, I still, I'm still backing Rafa. You know, I put him to win in my collector set, um, and I think, I think experience is going to be a big part um, of this final. And I just can't go, I just can't go against someone who's won twenty Grand Slams as, as well as Daniel Medvedev is playing as well. You know, as well as the fact that he is, I think, the slight favourite. I think Nadal has just been playing exceptional tennis um since he landed uh in in australia and i think he's gonna carry it through um i know novak djokovic is probably going to be watching on tv somewhere um interestingly he has been um he has announced he's going to be playing in dubai um as his next tournament so i assume they don't have uh exemptions in dubai no then. i don't th- i don't think so um but um yes i think i think for me yeah nadal yeah, it just feels, I don't know, for me, it just feels right. I still feel like Daniel Medvedev is going to get so distracted in some way. And a relaxed Nadal, I think, is in prime position to take full advantage of that. One other fact to consider, perhaps, is my friend Cameron, who pointed out to me that Andy Murray beat Rafa mm. in the Abu Dhabi exhibition in 2009, you know, that they all play before going out to Australia. And uh, then Rafa went on to win the Australian Open. What did Andy Murray do this year oh, at that okay. exhibition? He beat okay. Rafa. So possibly this is a, a good omen that means Rafa might do it. But we'll have to see if that comes true. <laughs> I was reading if 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 he ended up as a runner-up, then he would, I think, join Murray as like the most runner-up, runner-up person, uh, men's <laughs> men's player, I think, with five five uh runner up runner up plates um which i don't think anyone really wants and no <laughs> I, I i i yeah i um i also want andy murray to hold that record to himself i don't want him to share that record so again i'm gonna go with with nadal um yeah well i mean we'll, we'll have to wait and see i mean the other final thing the final factor kim is which is very exciting just from a passing shot point of view and collector set we don't normally we normally just wait until the end, but this is so this is such a big moment because potentially we do have someone who could get six out of six. It all rests on this final first person ever potentially to get a hundred percent collector set has got Rafa as the runner up. So there is a lot there's a lot riding on this on this one match. Yeah, uh, Conan, shout out to Conan, who is, um, I think he's already won, but we'll sort it out properly on uh, our finals catch up. Um, 
I hope that Conan doesn't get six because obviously <laughs> I, I want Rafa to win. But I mean, no, fair fair play to Conan. Like, it's amazing. Um, we've never had anyone get that many. So quite exciting for passing shot. I don't HG. think we've ever had anyone get five before. So I don't yeah, think anyone's got four. Unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. Um, yeah, definitely. But um, we'll see what happens come Sunday morning. Uh, let's take a quick break now, but do join us in the second half where we'll be having a look back on the ladies' semi-finals from day 11 at the Australian Open. So do not go anywhere. Welcome back to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to looking at the ladies' semi-finals, which were a bit more straightforward than the men's semis. Uh, I mean, the first one we had, they're both in the night session for the first time, which was great. Um, obviously, I was thinking, oh, if the first match is, you know, almost four hours long, as a women's match can sometimes be, um, Sara Srebes Tormo normally involved in those. Um, then you know the second match isn't getting on till till quite late, but um, that was not to be because Ash Barty I think required just over an hour to send Madison Keys packing in just the same way as most of her other opponents have been sent over the last ten days or so. Yeah, six one, six three, sixty two minutes. Uh, it's been. Uh, yeah, it's been incredible. Uh, you know, we were talking before the podcast, like what, what, what can we say about Ash Barty that we haven't already said? Yes, Ash Barty has loads of variety in her game. Yes, her her backhand slice is very, very good. Yes, her serving is also very, very good. She's been broken like never uh, over the last, um, you know, over the last few weeks. And again, she's just on a. It just feels like mission impossible for each of our opponents at the moment. And, you know, I did question in our last pod whether Madison Keys did have a, a plan B um, to potentially upset Barty um, if plan A wasn't working. And I don't, I don't, I think we can quite unanimously say I don't think Madison Keys had a plan B against Ash Barty. I think, I think Ash Barty just lapped up the, you know, the, the ground strokes, the, the power that, that Madison Keys possesses. And was and just really had her on a string. I felt for the for the majority of the match, and I do think also there was a little bit of nerves there from Madison Keys that stopped her. I think from playing maybe the game that she wanted to play. But I think given the the level that Barty has shown, to be quite honest, even if Keys had played at the level she wanted to, I still think Ash Barty would have come out a convincing winner. Yeah, I think so. I, she just, you know, Keys didn't really have an answer and she seemed to be getting so flummoxed so early on. And as soon as you kind of, you know, lose your opening service game, you must think, oh, I'm already just on a massive back foot. And you know that she's playing, that Barty's playing so well and barely dropping games and, you know, barely dropping her serve. And you must just think, oh, I've got an absolute mountain to climb, which just makes you get more stressed and more prone to kind of going for shots and not making them. So, yeah, I think Barty just cruising through, like absolute cruise mode. Um, and, you know, Keys have been playing so, so well up to this point. And that, yet against Barty, that's just completely nullified. And you, is it, is it, it's not even really possible to to preview the final maybe because you know you might well have we we previewed Barty against Keys and when it when push came to shove on the day it's just almost completely different state of affairs I mean with these these matches and uh you know particularly I think with this Keys match Jessica Begula in in the last round do you think this is creating a not just convincing but unanimous argument that 
if you have a more variety varied if you have more variety in your game then if you can if you can execute that on a tennis court like 10 times out of 10 it will defeat someone who has a power game from the back of the court and is just looking to fire you know winners down the line or, or cross court do you think ash barty is is making that statement um making that argument at the the australian open given all of the you know the the the, the tools that she has um in her locker do you think just ultimately or do you think there are times when actually power can trump trump variety I think Variety most of the time would win out because, you know, and I think that's testament to Barty playing a lot of doubles quite early on in her career and and still playing doubles. You know, she's not been playing in this tournament, but still regularly will compete in doubles. And hopefully that will encourage, you know, more of the top singles players to get involved in doubles. I think a lot of them already do, to be quite honest with you. Definitely more so on the women's side of things than on the men's. Um, just you know, physically, it's more more possible. But yeah, she, she's quite old school, really, isn't she, Barty? And um, I think it's just it's quite refreshing to see because you don't necessarily want a match. It's just two people slugging it out, you know. And it's lovely to watch power players for sure. But sometimes also their games, you know, they can be all or nothing, can't they? And when they execute, it's fantastic. But often it just comes completely um, awry, doesn't it? I think Barty's yeah. game is a lot more safe, um, yeah. which is just inevitably going to be more secure and get you more results. But every shot, and it, what I what I love about it is that there's there's obvious kind of point construction, you know, in the rally. It's not just like I'm just going to go for a winner now and see what happens. Yeah, um, you can see what you can see what she's thinking, and I think that's again what's been really impressive over the last couple of weeks um, in Melbourne is she's got a great tennis brain. And I think we've seen that in her matches and the way that you can tell what she's thinking and she's luring her opponents one way. Yeah, she might hit that really nasty backhand slice into your corner. Then she's going to hit that angled forehand cross court. Um, you know, it, you can tell how she really thinks about moving her opponent to create that pressure that I think comes and is more easily to do, I think, when you have a, a varied game such as Barty's. Um, and that, I think, has been really great to watch as a fan. You know, these rallies play out almost like a game of chess. But yeah, Ash Barty, more often than not, coming out on top. Yeah, I have to say, when Barty won that French Open a few years ago, I did not expect her to kind of carve out such dominance on the tour. I, I know we've had a long COVID disruption where she didn't really play, but... She certainly proved everyone who was doubting her completely wrong since coming back because, you know, she's pretty much won almost everything that she's entered and her record is, you know, exemplary. And I I wasn't really expecting that when she won her first slam because I think obviously uh, the calibre of her opponents, people were questioning that. And but she's The depth of the WTA tour as well. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, she's now probably going to win her third slam on, you know, three different slams as well. Um, So she just needs to win the US and she'll have a career slam and I feel like that's very likely to happen this year but I mean I won't get carried away too much but yeah she's really a cut above everyone else at the moment and I yeah I kind of I feel like I'm silly for not having thought that that could happen when we saw her win the French Open back in 2019 but we'll see Danielle Collins might have her say tomorrow because she 
came through against Shriontek in straight sets. This is, I think, the best I've ever seen Danielle Collins play. Um, she was really executing everything, really going after the returns, very much on it from the first point. Um, quickly went four love up, and Shriontek was uh, well. I mean, I got caught cold. Definitely, she 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 just wasn't able to match Collins in in those early stages, and pretty much for the rest of the match. I mean, she was able to claw it back a little bit in that first set, but you know. Collins was really on it and um, also very composed, actually. I, I think um, she didn't yell until sort of halfway through the, the second set or at the end of the first set. And I have to say, yeah, when I was she pretty did disappointed finally... by that, actually. <laughs> when she finally did, I was like, I had a massive smile on my face because it was just, I do love um, watching her do that. <laughs> she she just brought her A game, didn't she, da- Danielle Collins, in that semi final, making the most, I think, of of being there. I think she thrives on that environment. You know, we know that she's a very feisty and intense person. You know, this is a player who's always going to leave it out on court. And I think she is one of those players that isn't phased by, um, you know, opportunities that, that present themselves like a Grand Slam semi-final, which I think is actually was a little bit in comparison to, you know, how Madison Keys I think, stepped on the court. Yes, I think, you know, she was playing the world number one. That might have intimidated her a little bit. But I think, you know, Danielle Collins in the semi-final was also a little bit of a, an intimidating character. And perhaps Iga Sviontek felt that that intimidation. I mean, she had 27 winners, only 13 unforced errors, um, 78% of her first first serve points won, and 86% when facing the Sviontek second serve. I know I've spoken about the Sviontek se- second serve before, but it really needs to improve if she's going to, you know, do better do better at grand slams yes i know she's got to a semi-final and and she'll think you know that's a that's a pretty good effort given i'm you know considering i'm only what 20 years old but it's still a big weakness of of her game and you know i think because it is that kicker that that top spin second serve it just sits up for for danielle collins to hit and again her her double-handed backhand i think in particular was was magnificent in that match and she just had collins i think Sorry, just had Sviontek just running all over the court. I think it just, um, yeah, it just, it just was not happening for her. And I, again, I just, I do wonder if Sviontek's not, maybe not necessarily got everything just there yet. And I think perhaps her match with Kanepi, which lasted just over three hours, maybe caught up with her as well. Yeah, I think so. And um, just, yeah, her second serve definitely needs a lot more work, um, you know, but she's got the time to work on that. And um, and co- getting to the semifinals is still, you know, an incredible achievement, m- making her way through the draw. And um, I think on the day, I just felt like Collins like wanted it more as well. She, yeah. you know, was yeah. more present, I felt. And, um, you know, her personality on the court just kind of shines um, a lot more. I mean, I, I agree. And I think I love her. I love her personality. I think actually, you know, the WTA should be making more of, of these players who I don't necessarily think kind of get the spotlight that they deserve. And I think Collins fits into that category. I think she's I think she's great for the tour. She's got lots of energy. Um she, I think, is a little bit. Maybe she's a little bit polarizing, but I certainly think that there, her, she's got a personality and character about her that I think a lot of people can identify with. Um, I feel like it's that sort of typical, you know, American, you know, attitude. And you know, I think, I think this season has already started very well for her, and I'd love to see her kind of go on throughout the season 
and maybe who knows maybe we might see her in the you know the wta tour end of season finals at the very end of the season but i think this has been a very 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 good start the reward her first ever grand slam singles final it's going to be very very interesting and for shri tech yeah i you know i think i think maybe you know for her yes she's won the french open but i think she needs to be able to play a different sort of game for a different different sort of court surface um Phil, I think, again, I think the way she approaches these slams, I think, you know, she's got to realise that I can't just do what I did at Roland Garros and expect it to pay dividends and win, you know, future Grand Slams. I think she's going to need to be able to perhaps play a little bit flatter um, against players like Collins, where they're going to thrive off that ball sitting up from the topspin Um and be able to kind of start by dictating the point and dictating the rally. And, you know, maybe that's something that Sviontek needs to work on is, is that, is that ball, that ball variety, because I think there were just too many, there were just too many shots, I think from her that just sat up middle of the court there to be hit. And that's, and that's, you know, you don't, you don't want to do that with Danielle Collins uh, across the net from you. Exactly. Um, And I think Collins, you know, I didn't quite realise this, but she's like, since she came back after that surgery last year, she has been like really on it, you know, her first two titles, which again, I would have, I think when when we saw her do that at the time, I was surprised that she hadn't already won a title. Um, But she's got a 36-10 record since coming back, um, which is very impressive. And, you know, now into the top 10. Um, So I think, you know, it's just, again, a bit like, Rafa, you know, coming back after an injury layoff, not really sure how it's going to go. You know, I think Collins is just so grateful as well to kind of be at this stage after all her health woes. And it, I guess it shows what she could have done years ago if she hadn't have been hindered by like her endometriosis, which must have been obviously such a big impact on her life. And I'm just really pleased that she's kind of got through that side and she's now in this position. It's just you can't help but be happy for her you know even if you're not particularly a fan of hers or or yelling or or of her yelling or you know find her a bit aggressive or whatever I just think it's such a nice story you know Kim you know that yell is coming out in the final against Ash Barty in front of yeah Yeah. I mean let's just look let's just kind of preview the final because Ash Barty Danielle Collins Ash Barty leads the head-to-head 3-1 um Barty won their previous meeting in Australia in 2020 at Adelaide in a final set tie break uh I mean Kim where 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 are you on this so is Barty just gonna steamroll it I mean this is her third American in a row Pegula Keys Collins arguably Collins plays a similar game to, to Keys but perhaps her execution is at a higher level than 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 Keys that could you know, could challenge Barty. Um, and the other thing as well is, is, is the pressure of the situation going to get to Barty? Because like, you know, and like you know, Andy Murray at Wimbledon, you know, she's aiming to become the first home champion down under since 1978. So I feel like there's, there's quite a few factors at play, isn't there? Definitely. I think Collins, generally speaking, doesn't seem to have the same 
you, you know, usually the same sort of fear stepping onto no, a court. She doesn't she, care she, what. She, she doesn't certainly care. doesn't show it. Yeah, and I think that is what she's what you're going to have to need uh, facing. You know, the, the overwhelming you know home favorite on her mm. home court going for history. She's going to love it though. One. I think she's going to revel in that though, isn't she? I hope so because I want to see a competitive match. <laughs> I don't want to see a drubbing six one six two mm. by Barty. Like you know, we want a good match and. um you know, also, I mean, even if you're an Aussie fan, maybe you'd want a good match and not just to have it be over in an, in an hour. I mean, they've also got an All-Australian doubles final uh, following afterwards. So a lot of people will be well buoyed up for that as well. But um, I think I can't look beyond Barty winning, of course. I think they would have to take a real kind of collapse mentally from her at the thought of what she would be about to achieve, you know, in front of her home fans. And it would have to take a supreme performance from Collins. And I are both of those likely to happen to such an extent that it would turn it from being, you know, Barty straight sets to to Collins winning. I don't think so. Um I think you just have to go with with the the kind of record going through this tournament. Barty's only been on court for about six hours, which is just ridiculous. Her legs are so fresh. So fresh. <laughs> yeah, I, I know I know what you mean. And I think with Ash Barty, she she will go in as obviously the, the overwhelming favourite and it will almost feel like a shock if she loses a set, uh, given, you know, the I think the dominance that, that she has had. Um, yeah, but I, you know, if you, if, again, if you were to ask me who do I think is going to win, who do I want to win, I, would, I'd, I still want Danielle Collins to win. I just think she's great for the tour and to add another name into the Frey is a Grand Slam champion, uh, I think is great. I also wonder, it'd be interesting, if, if Danielle Collins did win um, and she became a one of these new Grand Slam title winners, maybe that also will take a little bit of the focus. There will obviously still be massive focus on Emma Raducanu, but adding another single Grand Slam winner into the pot perhaps takes a little bit of the focus off. Um, so yeah, anyway, I, I'm... I'm would love to see Daniel Collins win, but at the same time, if I'm going with my head, it's got to be Ash Barty. <laughs> I mean, yeah, straight sets, straight sets, straight sets, straight sets. It's just yeah. been relentless, and you know, I'm I'm just a little bit, I guess, worried that Collins is just going to play it like Madison Keys, and she might execute a bit better than Madison Keys, but I still think Barty will, Barty will will be able to to overcome it i think so i I, being pragmatic i can't look beyond barty (laughs) but i i mean my my heart would want collins to win as well i think that would just be Mm. not that barty winning wouldn't be a nice story but i think just i would love for collins to win this one kim um barty has saved 93 percent of break points throughout the tournament which still seven percent chance of someone (laughs) breaking her Mm. (laughs) Um, she's won 98 percent of her service games i mean these are these are i think i said it last these are roger federer at wimbledon i actually think roger federer at wimbledon would be it is pomp be jealous that he would be jealous at these numbers yeah it's it's ridiculous um and therefore it's, it's very hard to see it going any other way tomorrow mm, therefore um, we should not entertain any thought of of danielle collins winning yeah oh don't go there mate yeah do not go there um but um i wonder how many barty vegemite tops we'll see in the crowd tomorrow there's quite a few on the semi-finals i'm so. expecting a lot of aussie celebrities i'm expecting like camera to zoom in on like kylie minogue 
Danny she, Minogue. She lives in London. I'm not Jason sure. Jason Donovan it's... from Neighbours. I don't know. Okay, any any Australian as well. celebrity. Okay, whatever. Any Australian your, um, celebrities. Your Australian celebrity knowledge is limited to na- <laughs> Neighbours cast from the 80s. <laughs> um, I think yep. Rebel Wilson quite likes her tennis, doesn't she? Um, and... Nicole Kidman, maybe I don't know. Hugh <laughs> Jackman, um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, but I mean, we've had uh, a final already as well. Uh, well, a few finals. So let's round up some of those. Had the mixed doubles event uh, where the Aussie wildcards were not able to to win. So Forlis and Kubler lost to Mladenovic and Dodig in straight sets. So more experienced doubles pairing winning out there. Um, and we had the wheelchair events as well. So. Some Brits in action. Hurrah. Uh, Alfie Hewitt and Gordon Reid won the doubles in a match tiebreak against Fernandes and Canada. And then Alfie Hewitt did make it into the singles final, but lost to Canada in three sets. And then, uh, Joel, your favourites, De Groot and Van Koot in action oh, yes. again, oh, yes. obviously. They won the doubles uh, in a match tiebreak, unfortunately beating Lucy Shuka, British girl, in the final. But, um, you know, you can't beat De Groot and Van Koot. They are no. just supreme. For, so formidable. And they had they they dominated the singles as well because they played each other in the singles final and De Groot, well, kind of routed Van Koot. So I hope they, they were able to, you know. Patch things up. <laughs> yeah, afterwards. <laughs> and then, um, actually, I don't know if this bodes poorly for Barty, but another Aussie um, also lost in the final. So actually, Aussies have only lost in finals so far. Um, Dylan Alcott. He lost to Sam Schroeder in the final of the quad wheelchair. So he wasn't able to go for his eighth um, straight Australian Open title. And he obviously has now retired. So um, unfortunately, he couldn't retire on a win. But, you know, obviously still remarkable. Yeah, I think Um, he said, like, life moves on. It's fine. It's only He's still a legend. He's going to (laughs) be Australian of the year. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. He's he's going on to higher things. Um, And Andy Lapthorne won the men's doubles in the quad wheelchairs with uh david wagner so another british guy winning out um and i mean the aussies are guaranteed a winner tomorrow because they do have the all australian men's doubles final which will be after the barty collins match so the special case against ebden and purcell i mean you, you're gonna make a prediction do you think you know kyrios and kokonakis can can go all the way yeah yeah, I think I think so. I think I think although there is another Australian team there, I feel like it's the atmosphere and the, the crowd reactions. They're going to feel. I feel like they're in another. They're playing from another country. I think they're going to be very almost like tokenistic. I think is the potent, potentially. I think everyone's going to be rooting, or in my book anyway, for Kokonakis and, and Kyrgios. I know that there are going to be some Kyrgios haters who probably will be rooting for Ebden and Purcell. But um, yeah, it's been. I've been. It's been. It's been pretty interesting, I think, this journey that Kokonakis and, and Kyrgios have been on this men's doubles tournament. Because coming through as wild cards, it has got a bit of Freddie Nielsen, Johnny Murray, Wimbledon 2012 about it. Um, but yeah, it's been very, very, very impressive. I don't know if... I'd, I'd, I'd be curious to see if, if they continue focusing on, on doubles. And I just think Nick Kyrgios just loves... Well, I actually think Nick Kyrgios, when he has someone to play with, I think he it actually focuses his his mind. And I think in the singles, when he's playing for himself and he can go a bit uh, walkabout, um, you know, we've seen that in the past. But I actually think when he's got someone to play for, 
um, that he doesn't want to let down, I think actually motivates him. And I think we've seen that this tournament and the way that, you know, he loves, you know, he's of Kokinak is obviously one of his best mates. He loves playing for him and, you know, they love playing for each other and it's proved really, really successful. It's paid massive dividends for them. Um, you know, beating what Lopez and, and Zabios in the semi-final. Um, Granolas and Zabios. Granolas, sorry, Granolas and Zabios in the semi-final. Yeah, they're they're proving quite a, a partnership. So I'd love to, I'd love to see it continue um, throughout the season. Ah, uh, you obviously had Mark Lopez on your mind then, who is now <laughs> one of Rafa's coaches. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think the crowd will will bring. The, the special K's, I hate saying that. I don't know why I'm saying that name. Um, <laughs> I think they'll they'll enable them to to get over the finish line. E- Ebden is more experienced. He has won a slam, I believe, in doubles or mixed doubles. To my um, surprise, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yes. Sorry, sorry, Matthew Ebden fans. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm quite pleased, especially for Kokonakis, because you know he's won his first title recently and maybe a Grand Slam. It's it's nice, and yeah, you can't deny like if it is something like Freddie Nilsson, John marry that was fantastic and it's such a lovely thing to have won a slam you know for anyone's career so fair play to them um the women's doubles will be on sunday kritikova and sinyakova top seeds against danalina and uh hadad maya who are an unseeded pairing kazakh brazilian pairing so i imagine the czechs will win but never say never um but we'll be back i guess on sunday um to round up the action from the finals weekend so, you know, will Barty win for her home fans? Um, will Will Medvedev win a second straight slam? There's so many questions to be answered. Kim, before we go into finals weekend, Barty Collins. What, so what are you saying? Barty, Barty in two? Barty in three? Barty in a tight two? Barty in two, six, three, six, two. I, I just, Ooh, I find it very okay. hard to say that the set scorelines are going to be much different from like the last two matches also she's playing a lot of americans pagula keys collins um so and they're going to be all the same they, i, I yeah. feel like they will come from the same school of american tennis um but yeah the execution i think has perhaps separated them so uh yeah i'm gonna go ash barty in just to change it out, i'm gonna say ash barty in three Talking of schools, um, Danielle Collins is the second straight player to make an Aussie Open final who came through the American college system because Jen Brady last year had been through the college system. So um, kind of a great sort of story for for anyone who's going through that system, has been through that system. Um, But I feel actually, yeah, the final will probably be a bit like last year's final where Asaka just, you know, pretty much dominated and Brady wasn't really able to compete the same way she had throughout the tournament. Um, so, Daniel Collins, prove us wrong. Give us a few yells to, to cheer us <laughs> yes. up at least. Yeah, that will be worth the entrance alone, I think, for fans. Uh, yeah, we will be setting our alarm clocks, watching that tomorrow morning. But listeners, for now, I hope you enjoyed listening to this semi-finals catch-up with the passing shot. Remember to subscribe to us on whatever device you listen to us on. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all good podcasting platforms out there. You can also listen to us on the DownloadTennis.com app. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And you can follow us on social media or email us. Uh, We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
at Passing Shot Pod. So do give us a like and a follow and comment uh, on there if you want to. Uh, but you can also reach us via email, of course. We are on PassingShotPod at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our website, www.thepassingshot.co.uk. We will be back on Sunday at Passing Shot HQ to discuss the finals action at Melbourne Park. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Au revoir. (laughs) I've gone French. I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon.